Hey, I want you to imagine with me now, this is a, a just a, a list, how, how do I describe this? Like a, just an exercise, a thought experiment. Okay, that's the phrase I was looking for. Imagine with me that you were in a position where society had collapsed and you were responsible to rebuild society. Now, I'm not saying something prophetic. That's not the point of this. This is a thought experiment, as I said. But if you're in like a Mad Max type scenario and you're trying to rebuild society, this is the plot of like at least two movies a year that come out. There's multiple TV shows that, that have this kind of post-apocalyptic world where people are trying to rebuild society. But if you were in a situation of authority where you were tasked with how do I rebuild society, how do I rebuild culture from scratch. All the institutions are gone, education system's gone, you figured out how to have a regular source of food, and now you're responsible to figure out how do we rebuild society. One of the things that you would need is some sort of system of law, some sort of system of government. How are we going to conduct ourselves as a society? And might I suggest the Ten Commandments being a really good starting place in that hypothetical scenario um, if you found yourself in that situation. That, I bring this up, this thought experiment, because that was basically Israel's situation. They had been led out of, from slavery in Egypt, and they were going to start society from scratch. What kind of people will we be? They had not governed themselves. They had been led by slave masters. They were slaves. And they had been that way for generations before them. Right, And so now they're being carried out. You are free. You have been delivered from slavery in Egypt, and now you will start a new society. You will start a new system of how are we going to live our lives? How are we going to govern ourselves? And so this was the purpose of the law. This is what God gave them. This is what, how your nation will be run. This is how you will live individually. This is how you will live collectively. This is how I want you to worship me. They're given all of this kind of just blank slate. Here's how I want you to follow me. Here's how I want you to live. And it starts with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were this system, uh, the structure of, of how they should live a blessed life. What did God expect of them? How are they going to conduct themselves? This is, incidentally, the same situation that many Christian missionaries had to deal with um, at any given point in history. So if you're talking about right now, some Christian missionaries reaching an unreached people group or a tribe, and them trying to, to instruct them in how do you live your life in a way that honors God. And it's things like don't murder. You know, worship God first. No idols. Like all of these kind of basic things, these Ten Commandments, form a, a teaching tool that many Christians uh, are using today. And this is kind of how we instruct historically people who are new to faith or children who are learning about what faith is all about. This is what our ancestors heard, you know, these, these Ten Commandments. You think about like 1,500 years ago, like the year 524, right, A.D., where there's missionaries from Ireland or missionaries from the Roman Empire going up and reaching our unreached ancestors that were in many ways barbarians and practicing child sacrifice and worshiping idols in this really dark period of human history that we refer to as the Dark Ages, where Christian missionaries reached these tribes that the Romans were afraid of. You know, they just built walls to keep them away, some of our ancestors. And they reached them with the gospel, and they said, this is what a moral and good society should look like. 
and they'd use the Ten Commandments. We, we've been going through these the last few weeks. This is the fifth week, so a- after we finish this Sunday, we'll be halfway through the series. We're calling this series the Ten Words. These are the instructions, the commandments given from God to teach his people how to follow him and what life should look like. So we're in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're going to be in a number of different passages this morning. We're going to be in Deuteronomy just a little bit. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 is where we're going to start. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now I want to read a parallel passage where, where Moses gives these instructions, these words from God, again, Um, in the context of this sermon, this kind of final big speech that he gives Israel before he departs. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, he expands on the promise piece of this commandment a little bit, and that's why I want you to see this. Deuteronomy 5, 16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is given you. So the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. And I've been giving you these little goofy memory aids that seem like they'd be very fitting for kids' ministry because they were from a video for kids. But I think it's helpful for me and hopefully helpful for you. And so if you feel comfortable doing this, I promise you, you will remember the Ten Commandments better than if you didn't do this, okay? So we go, we use our hands right, to to show us how to remember the Ten Commandments. So the first commandment, we put up one finger. We say, God is number one. You shall have no other gods before me, right? And the second one is pretty fun. Uh, We put up another finger, and we bow down to the first finger, and we say, no idols, right? You shall not bow down or create any graven images. So no idols is the second commandment. The third one forms a W, and it reminds us of the power of our words, that do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth one, you put up four fingers, and you go like this, and it's stop, right? Don't put your hand up too high. We talked about that last week. Um, the fourth one is to cease, you know, take, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And now we've got our five fingers up. I'm going to switch hands for this one, actually. So five fingers up. In the military, a sign of respect for somebody else is to salute them. And so we put our five fingers up and we form a salute. Honor your father and your mother. Well done, everybody. So that's a little helpful tool for you to remember what those Ten Commandments are. Honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment. Today we talk about this parent-child relationship. And I know parents in the room who have maybe kids in the room here are, are looking forward to the part where I tell your children they have to obey you. That's coming, okay? That's later in the service. But right now we're talking about this commandment in the context, the way the nation of Israel would have heard it initially. They hear this commandment, and this is a commandment for the entire nation. So there are children, certainly, in that group, but I think largely it's directed at adults, although certainly application for children, and we'll get to the application for children in a little bit. But there's a sense in which this commandment is universal, because every single one of us came into this world as someone's child. We are all children of somebody. You may not have known that person well. You may have had a broken relationship with that person. You may have been adopted and raised by somebody else, but you are someone's child. And I want to talk about the reasoning behind this commandment for a few moments. There's a blessing given, 
that it may go well with you in the land. Deuteronomy expands upon that and says, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. He's saying that you're going to this new place and the way your world, the way your society will be structured hinges upon this command. There's some reasoning beyond it that is more than just blessing for you individually. There's a actual societal implications for how this command works. God is telling the nation of Israel in this moment that the, the structure of society is the family. That honoring your father and mother and having this kind of intact and healthy family structure will help their society. That It will go well with them in the land if they obey this command. So if we were tasked with restructuring society in our thought experiment like we talked about, we would eventually have to discuss how are we going to raise children? What will the future of the society look like? How, what's the best context to educate, to raise children, to teach them values and morals so that our society has a future? How will we care for their basic physical needs? And in the same way your body is made up of lots of different organs, but the, the fundamental building block is the cell, right? There's you know, smaller things even in the cell, but we're made up of cells. Society is made up of families, that is the basic structure of all of society. Now, I want to read a shocking passage from Deuteronomy chapter 21 that talks about how important it is that the family structure is followed and is held up as a priority. And this is an intense passage. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 18 to 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this, is our, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Whoa. I, I bet they would hear and fear if something like that happened. We don't have a lot of stories of this happening in the culture. Um, but this is something that Moses is saying to the nation. Like this, this is how serious this is. He says, if you have this breakdown in the family where the son, in this specific example he uses, a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, even though they're disciplining him. And he said, they shall take them to the elders of the city and say, this, my son, is lazy, gluttonous. He's a, a glutton and a drunkard. Then the men kill him with stones. This is wild. Why is this so serious? Why does, why does Moses say something like this, that this, that this breakdown in the family is the community's problem and the community needs to deal with it because it is a problem. When the family breaks down, society breaks down. And so the community is dealing with this at a community level saying, hey, this will not do. This needs to be taking, taken seriously. He says, you will purge the evil from your midst. And I can't even imagine what, what, that, what, what the impact that would have had if that happened. 
We, and again, we have this instruction, but we don't have a lot of examples. I, I, maybe one or two in the Old Testament where something like this happened. But if you heard of this happening in your town, I'm pretty sure you would take this very seriously. It would probably have a big effect on all the sons, at least, in the, in the community. Like, did you hear what happened to Trevor? You know, it's like, this was, yeah, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm flying right and, uh, and, and taking everything seriously because I don't want that to happen to me. We live in New Covenant times. This is the Old Covenant, right? We don't handle conflicts this way in our church. Um, and uh, thank, thank you, God, that this is not the, the, the way we handle these kinds of issues now. But the reason why it was taken so seriously is a breakdown in the family, the breakdown in this fundamental unit of society is a breakdown in society and needs to be handled seriously. And now I'm going to get real, like, that was pretty serious and intense, but I've got some more of that coming. So, listen, our culture does not respect family. Our culture largely, there's forces, not I'm saying as a whole, but individ, like certain ideologies, belief systems, dismisses family. It says that this does not matter. So many modern cultural movements that are opposed to Christianity try to divide the family as much as possible. To, to say that, hey, if your family doesn't like, line up completely and endorse all of your decisions in your life, you just need to write them off. Go, go find your chosen family. Dismiss your family that you grew up in, your family of origin. Like, th- there's this fundamental breakdown in the family that there are forces in our culture promoting and saying, like, the family doesn't matter, right? The state is more important than the family. In fact, if you look at the way communism spread and kind of these Marxist revolutions that happened um, in modern history, so many of them tried to just say that the, the children are the responsibility of the state. They need to be taken by the state. They need to be educated by the state. And the Christian worldview says, no, the children are the responsibility of the parents, right? The family is this fundamental building block of society, not the culture, Um, this breakdown in the family that we've been that I've been talking about here for just a moment. Uh, this this idea there's a there's a philosophical argument called Chesterton's fence, and I want to explain what this means. G.K. Chesterton talks about this idea of a fence, someone happening along a fence and saying, "I don't understand what this fence is for. This fence needs to go," and getting rid of the fence. He says you need to make sure you understood why that fence was put there in place before you understand why the fence should go. And here's a quote from Chesterton. He says, there exists in such a case a certain institution or law, let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes up to the fence and says, I don't see the use of this. This, let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. And then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. The fence might be there to keep cattle safe out of the roadways. It might be when school gets out and the kids are running and there's a cliff nearby the fence. Like you need to make sure you understand why the fence is there before you move it. In our society that does not respect the family, does not understand why it's trying to tear it down even. It doesn't see the role it plays. And so that we, we need to be careful, cautious, thoughtful about the way that those influences are affecting the way we think because our society has the shaping influence on us who live within the society. And thinking about the way that our, our, our culture seeks to alienate ourselves from our families is something that we need to be aware of we need to defend against. 
Society is like a complex ecosystem, right? Where you've seen maybe those kind of viral videos where what happens when they reintroduce an animal into Yellowstone and the, this one little change in the ecosystem affected it so much because, you know, the, I think it was reintroducing wolves or something like that. And they kept the, the, the deer population under control so that the banks of the river were not being overgrazed and the vegetation could come back and that it introduced other kinds of birds and other creatures. That, that You make a little change to the ecosystem and it affects the entire ecosystem. The family in the same way, if we break down our families and our culture, it affects the entire ecosystem of our society. And even secular thinkers and scholars have been warning us about this danger to the breakdown in society. There's economists in particular have been studying this phenomenon of the importance of the family structure to how society works. There's a book that came out recently called Two-Parent Privilege, which was all about how the difference that having two parents in the home that a child grows up in makes so much of a difference when it comes to things like getting out of poverty, Right, that they're that in fact, so and, and not to scare anybody or whatever, this isn't what this part's about. I understand everyone's situation is a little bit unique. I'm talking about this more on a society wide level. If you were to go interview the average homeless person, you're gonna find someone that came from a broken family situation nine times out of ten. You'll find some stories where they're like, I came from a great family and I just struggled with addiction or crime, and that's why I ended up here. But so many of the problems in our society started with a breakdown in the home. Okay, so this is, this is a real thing that we need to be thoughtful about and considerate of in the family structure. That it may go well with you in the land. Family matters to society. And that's part of what God is saying with this fifth commandment. And specifically what we're told to do is we're told to honor our father and our mother. And the word honor is a heavy word, and I mean that literally because it means weighty. It means to put weight upon them in the sense of like valuing them and saying they are worth something. Honoring our father and mother is a decision to treat them with dignity and courtesy and to have long-term loyalty to their best interests. And there's always a part of us when we hear a command like this, honor your father and mother, we look for the exception clause. We go, well, you don't understand my situation. And I want to say we'll get to the more challenging cases a little bit later in the sermon. We'll get there in a few minutes. But for right now, I want to speak to kind of the healthier family dynamic and give you some specific application for this for a few moments. And I, I'm so grateful for our church and the families I see represented in our church that we've got so many great healthy family, um, intact and, and relatively healthy families. Right? We've all got our issues. We've all got problems. We've got so many wonderful families in our church. Paul, Paul applies the fifth commandment specifically to children living at home in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. He says it this way, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So for kids who are living under your parents' roof, your responsibility is to obey your parents, right? This is a time-bound commandment, but is a recognition that the way you honor your father and mother is by obeying them. And the Ephesians 6 here says, obeying your parents is obeying God. That's like the way you obey God is recognizing the authority given by, your, by God to your parents 
And your responsibility is to obey them. And then to flip that around, disobeying your parents is disobeying God. This is a time, you know, again, this is a, there's going to be a beginning to this when you're born and an ending to this when you leave your parents' authority and you are your own adult and you, you know, leave the home kind of thing, right? There's this idea where obeying them is a, is a limited amount of time, but the thing that is timeless is honoring them. So long after you've left the home, the honoring piece of the fifth commandment continues. And we're to do this in the Lord, Ephesians 6 says, that our obedience is a part of our relationship to God. So unless your parents are sinning against you or asking you to sin, right, there's this aspect where it's connected to, to, to God, right, that we need to obey them. And we do this promptly. We do this with a good attitude. You know, this is something we try to teach our kids when they're young, that when we ask them to do something, they need to do it, and they need to do it with a good attitude and not super grumpy and grumbly and all that kind of stuff. There's a story of a five-year-old little boy who was standing at the, at the dinner table on his chair. And, you know, mom keeps asking him to sit down, and he doesn't want to sit down. And she finally says, all right, you need to sit down. It puts him down in his chair. And he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm still standing. <laughs> right? That's not, that's not obedience, right? And we're given this, the reasoning behind this teaching is it is right, right? That's how things work best. It is right. And it has a blessing attached to it. You will be blessed if you honor and obey your parents. You will not be blessed if you dishonor and disobey your parents, Honoring our parents is important because it's a recognition of all the things they've done, the ways that they've served their, their families, the way that they've served and sacrificed so much for, for them, right? Parenting is challenging, and, and the way that we can understand that and kind of respond to that as children is just a recognition and a gratitude for the sacrifices that are made for children, Right? Someone, someone once said, if parenting was meant to be easy, it wouldn't have started with something called labor. Right? A couple teenagers were talking to one another, and one teenager was saying, I'm really worried because dad slaves away at his job, so I'll never want for anything, and so I can go to college. And mom spends every day washing and ironing and cleaning up after me, and she takes care of me when I'm sick. And the other kid says, so what are you, what are you worried about? And the first teenager says, I'm afraid they might try to escape. So specifically, honoring your parents and, and thinking about children that are still with, with your family right now, speak with kindness to them. Speak with respect to your parents. And I'll, I'll add this like little asterisk here. Even if you're a teenager, even if you're a teenager, you should speak with them uh, in a respectful way and speak about them with respect when you're not with them. And I want to give you two examples of kind of cultural obstacles to this. We've been talking about kind of the cultural problems when it comes to family. The way that parents are portrayed, and fathers and specifically in our culture, you've seen this, right? That the, the way our culture has portrayed, for the most part, we, we treat mothers with honor and respect and things like that. But fathers and their portrayal of fathers in our culture has just gone downhill in the last like 30, 40 years. So we're talking commercials and sitcoms. Those are the two leading offenders, right? Um, Huggies, the diaper company, released an advertising campaign a few years ago that there was an outcry to, and they pulled, it, pulled the campaign, but it was like, can, can, the, 
Can these diapers, can our diapers pass the father test where we leave these kids home with their fathers for five days, you know, with no help from mom and see if these diapers hold up in that trying situation, you know? Um, and, and they're like, dads change diapers. We know how to do this. You know, this, it was an insulting kind of thing in the commercials and you've seen lots of these and you'll see more of them, right? If you start looking for the way fathers in particular are portrayed in our culture, you will see them. There's this trope of the buffoon sitcom dad, right? The, the sitcom dad who is the butt of every joke in the, the show, right? Their names like Peter Griffin, Homer Simpson, Archie Bunker, Al Bundy. This has been studied by scholars, by the way. Sociologists have studied and looked for the number of times that the dads were the butt of the joke, that the, everyone's laughing at dad because dad is a joke in these kinds of sitcoms. And if you think about the way fathers used to be portrayed culturally, the Andy Griffith show, right? Little House on the Prairie, the Waltons. There was a show called Father Knows Best once. How about that? So there's this cultural kind of idea where fathers are not worthy of respect in, in, in our culture through these portrayals. And I think that's one of the challenges to us honoring our father and mother. But seeing our, just the, the fathers and the mothers as worthy of honor and, and valuing them and respecting them. And when they say something to you, you go, I value that. I appreciate that. Mark Twain, uh, this quote attributed to Mark Twain, he says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. You know what he's speaking to. There, and, and you can probably relate when you think about your own home life growing up, where it, like there was a time when you were so sure of your own convictions and beliefs about stuff and felt like your parents just did not know what they were talking about. And then later you realize how wrong you are and that they actually do have something, great wisdom to offer and things that are of value to you. And that if you approach them in that way, even as a young person, that's a way of honoring your father and mother. The other obstacle culturally to, to this commandment is that we are a really youth-oriented culture. Like the, the popular culture is driven by the young, right? It's like 15 to 25, like what people think are, is cool is what the culture thinks is cool in that age range. And in Asian cultures, this is totally different, right? This is a Western culture kind of idea. Asian cultures treat elders with respect. Western culture kind of treats elders with disrespect and we dismiss them. Famous atheist Bertrand Russell complained. He said, I was born in the wrong generation. When I was a young man, no one had any respect for youth, and now I'm an old man, and no one has any respect for age. That's the, the reality that in our culture, we, we tend to dismiss age when instead it is a resource that we don't tap into enough as a culture. So specifically thinking about this commandment, is there when you're thinking about your own parent, is there something that you can praise them for? If they're still with you, even if they're, not, if, even if they're gone, Right? When you talk about them, can you, can you speak about them or praise them for something about themselves? Or even if they didn't do a perfect job and you have a lot of complaints and a lot of things you're still working through from your growing up years, maybe there's something you can think that was praiseworthy about them and mentioning that. This changes over the years too as we leave the home and as we grow up. Jesus talked about this with the Pharisees that honoring your father and mother might look very different when you're 
father and mother are aging and they have needs that you can help provide for. Jesus was complaining about the Pharisees and the way that they, they gave, like they broke this command and they found some kind of religious loophole to do that. Uh, I want to read this briefly, we'll, and then we'll carry on with the sermon. But Matthew 15, 1 through 9, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying the Pharisees' parents were in need, and it was a need that their children could meet. And they said, there's a loophole here where we can say everything, all that we have wealth-wise, is dedicated to God. And so you don't have access to that. And so they were neglecting their, their elders and they were breaking this fifth command and God was, Jesus, God the Son, was calling them on that. There may be times where obeying the fifth commandment is caring for aging parents and caring for their physical needs, their emotional needs, the way they cared for you once. And that may, may be something that God calls you to do at some point. Now I want to talk about the big exception that, that, we were, that sometimes we, we think of when it comes to commands like this. Sometimes honoring your parents is really difficult. Some of you came from really difficult situations, difficult backgrounds. And, and you might be thinking when I talk about honoring your father and mother, like, you, you wouldn't say that if you knew my family. You, you would say, maybe I am who I am in spite of my family, not because of my family. I'll say a quick note here, and then I want to um, share an example, a story of someone who was struggling with how to obey this command from their background. But there is no perfect families. There are no perfect families. Everyone has brokenness in their family. Even if you came from an amazing family, I did. I came from an amazing family, but there's no perfect families, right? And the Bible doesn't contain any examples of perfect families, right? The Bible's full of dysfunctional families, dysfunctional parents. It's all over the place, right? Imagine how Jesus felt, by the way. Jesus was perfect, the only one who was ever perfect, who grew up in an imperfect family, a pretty great family from his, everything we can tell, but he was in an imperfect family and he obeyed his parents. He honored his father and mother. We see him when he was 12 years old and they were visiting Jerusalem for one of the festivals and the family left, but Jesus stayed behind and it took him a couple of days to realize. I always in moments like that when I mess up as a dad, I go, and the parent of the year award goes to, and then I present it to myself, you know. Like the parents that didn't realize they didn't have Jesus with them for a couple of days. Whoops. Um, but they go back and they find Jesus in the temple having these deep intellectual conversations with all the religious leaders. They say, you got to come home with us now. Like you, you were, we were terrified. And he submits to them and he obeys them. While Jesus is enduring the agony of his execution on the cross, he makes sure his mom is taken care of. He honors his father and mother, Right? And Jesus didn't come from a perfect family. There's no such thing as a perfect family. I think everyone ha will have something, even if you came from a really healthy family environment, you will still need to forgive your parents for something, right? And, and same thing in my own family, right? I know that my kids will have to forgive me at some point for shortcomings or failings that I did, and that's 
part of that obeying that fifth commandment. But how do you honor your father and mother when your relationship with them is broken and a source of just intense pain for you? The genius behind this command to honor them is that it doesn't require us feeling something towards them. It it doesn't say trust them or be close to them. Honor is not an emotion. It's a decision. It's a choice. And sometimes that choice is complicated, how you carry that out, depending on your individual situation and what you've been through and what you're healing from or whatever your individual dynamic might be. And it requires discernment. We need guidance. We need help from God. We might need help from our spiritual community about what obeying that commandment might look like. It might be just honoring a parent figure in your life, right? Honoring the person who raised you, honoring your foster parent or whatever it might be in your individual situation. There's a Christian writer named Mary Langley Johnson, and I want to read her story of how she sought to do this in her difficult situation. As our Bible study group began focusing on the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, I felt pretty smug. After all, I didn't worship more than one God, steal, commit adultery, or murder, lie about my neighbors, or plot to cheat them out of what was rightfully theirs. But one evening, we came to the command to honor our father and mother. And against my will, I thought of my mother who'd passed away ten years earlier. Honor her when I felt more relief than sorrow at her death? The tears I cried at her funeral were those of an adult daughter who had never heard the words I most needed to hear from her. I'm proud of you. My birth was mother's midlife surprise. When my father died less than four years later, I gave her a reason to go on, but in many ways my mother treated me like a small adult and our relationship developed into an unhealthy codependency. Her attempts to shelter me from the world's influences only fueled my insecurities. I grew from a spoiled child into an anxious, introverted adolescent. Complicating matters, mother battled deteriorating health and depression, but because of the rigid faith-healing religion she adhered to, she shunned medical intervention. By the time I had reached my teens, my mother had sunk into a state of apathy. The more I attempted to earn her praise with high grades, awards, and interscholastic competitions, the more rejected I felt by her indifference. During my senior year, I earned a major role in a drama production that she never attended. Her only explanation was, I didn't feel up to it. The following years were the same. When at age 20 I met the man I'd later marry, my mother openly resented him. Her bigoted remarks about his ancestry horrified us both. During more rational moments, she showed brief motherly interest in our wedding plans, but at the last minute threatened not to attend. I cursed the cruelty of a God who took away my father and left me with an ill elderly mother who seemed impossible to please. After my wedding, mother's downward spiral continued. Our visits usually deteriorated into criticisms about how I raised my children, reproach for leaving the church in which she'd raised me, my husband had led me to a true faith in Christ, and unfavorable comparisons to other family members who obviously loved her more than I did. Mother's health finally worsened to the point she committed herself to a nursing home. I attempted a few family visits, hoping she'd enjoy seeing her granddaughters, but she showed little interest in them and often received me with such hostility that I left in tears. Congestive heart failure finally ended her life, and she died a bitter, lonely woman. At my mother's funeral, I studied her features as she lay in the casket. Even in death, her lips seemed pressed into a condemning frown, the same embittered expression that stared back at me from her last professional photograph. Two years years after her death, a job-related move took my husband and me to another city. I didn't even unpack the portrait, but hid it away in a box in the attic. Finally, that night at the Bible study, I came face to face with my hardened heart. 
to harbor contempt and anger, to shut someone out of your life and memory because of perceived hurt or injustice. These aren't the heart attitudes of forgiveness. I know firsthand they punish the victim far more than the villain. I left the Bible class that night convicted to the core. But how was I to honor, to love, respect, and esteem a parent I held responsible for so much heartache? I began by admitting I needed God's help, not only to confront my feelings toward her, but also to confess my selfishness and lack of compassion. I acknowledge with gratitude that she gave me life and nurtured me the best she was able. I took into account the factors that had shaped her life, not the least of which were her own dysfunctional parents, and later the lure of religious teachings that distorted God's truth. The fact is there are no perfect human parents, so I had no right to expect perfection from my mother. Since sin entered the world, every succeeding generation has carried its own baggage into parenthood. Hadn't I done so with my children? As desperately as I wanted not to repeat my own mother's mistakes, when I battled recurring bouts of anger, resentment, and depression, my family inevitably suffered. The next step was to let my mother back into my life, emotionally if not physically. Resolutely, I climbed the attic stairs to retrieve her portrait, carried it to my desk, and stared at it a long time. I'm sorry, I silently told my mother. I haven't honored you. I've tried to push you from conscious thought. I forgive you. And I pray you've also forgiven me for turning away from you. I want your memory to be a part of my life. An incredible peace filled me as God enabled me to do what I couldn't do on my own. Remember my mother with love. Suddenly I saw her as God created her to be and was able to forgive. And in a small way, forget the hurtful things that had passed between us. And then an even more amazing thing happened. The bitter condemning frown I'd always seemed in mom's portrait now appeared as a serene smile. In my mother's eyes, I saw the acceptance and approval for which I'd yearned. Did the picture change? No. Nor were past hurts wiped out. What changed was my perception of the past, which in turn has positively affected my present and future. In forgiving and honoring her, I'm breaking the chains of bitterness in my life. My greatest regret is that I was unable to reach this place of forgiveness while my mother was still alive. For other adult children of difficult parents, they may, there may still be time even if you see little hope that she or he will ever become the loving, responsible parent for which you long. I, I don't know everyone's situation, what, where you've been, where, what the, the brokenness that exists in some situations, but I hear so many stories and I've gotten to know a bunch of you over the years, and so I know that for some of you this is really challenging. So we need to go to God and ask for the help that we need to obey this fifth commandment. What does this look like in our individual situation? And, and, and there may be a way for you, I, I want you to think about creatively as much as you can. If you're a kid in the room or an adult, whatever your situation may be, how will you fulfill this fifth commandment this week or in the near future? What are some ways you can honor your father or mother? There's amazing news in the gospel, which is that when God saves us, he places us into a new family as well. That there's a new family that, that becomes the, the primary family which is God's family. And then we get to be a physical representation of that, although imperfect as a local community of faith. But when the church is described in the Bible, there's all of this family language that's continually used. And I want to close our time by reading a few of these family verses for us. And then I'm going to pray for us. So I want to read three passages briefly. This is John chapter 1, verse 12. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We get to be a part of the new family of God. We get to be God's children. We get to talk to God as Father. We are brothers and sisters, if you were in Christ. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All of us enter the family the same way. We're all adopted into God's family. Psalm 27, verse 10, written by David. He says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've been dealing through some some tough waters this morning in this fifth commandment. And Lord, I pray for, there's a wide variety of application in this room of what that might look like. And I, I'm burdened this morning for those who are, are struggling through some of the brokenness in maybe their family relationship. And Lord, I pray for those people in particular that they might see you as their, their true father in heaven who love, loves them, brought them into your family, and that they may receive comfort from that. And Lord, as they're healing or whatever, through, through whatever trials or trouble they might be facing when it comes to how can they even try to obey this fifth commandment, in their own unique circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would be the God of all comfort. They would see themselves primarily as a part of your family and that that would give them the strength they need to find the hope and the healing from maybe some of the brokenness that they've experienced. Lord, for all the families in this church, I pray that you would help this to be a place where um, we are strong, Lord, these family relationships, that we see these as vital to our homes, to our children, that we have a healthy, vital home life where the kids respect and obey and honor the parents and where the parents bring the kids up in a way that they learn to love you and to follow you and get the hope and the help and the support, the love that they need in the home. And Lord, I, for the children in this, in this room, Lord, whether they're little kids or teenagers, Lord, may they obey. May they honor their parents. May you help them with that. It's challenging in our culture in this time. And so please give them the the help they need and the resolution that they would speak in a respectful way to their parents in a loving way because their parents do so much for them. They sacrifice constantly to love them and provide for what they need. And, And Lord, I pray that they would be treated with honor, treated in an honorable way. Lord, you are our father. We are told to address you in this way. And that's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And Lord, for anyone that's in this room or anyone watching online who has yet to put their faith in you and can't rightly call you Father yet, I pray that you bring them into your family, Lord, right now. That you would help them to turn from their sins and to receive the forgiveness that your son purchased on the cross for us. And that they may be a new creation. They may receive the new life that you so freely offer by grace. It's a gift. And Lord, may we extend that to the world that desperately needs that message through Alpha, through our own conversations with people. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church with more and more people coming to faith in you. May we see ourselves as being on your mission, representing a God of love to a world that desperately needs to know that God. So we love you and we thank you. Now, Lord, we want to seek to proclaim you and and praise you right now with our final time of worship. So please bless it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.